Good morning, church. So good to see all of you. How many of you men were on the retreat? Uh, thank you, guys. Uh, I'm feeling both exhausted and refreshed at the same time today. Uh, that plus pollen are never a good combination, but here we go. I'm grateful for the opportunity, uh, whether you're joining us here or you're worshiping with us online, always to dig into God's word. And today we're actually starting a new sermon series that we have entitled Eyes Up. It's just two parts, and I would like to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles, if you have them, and I hope you do, to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. I hope all of you grab note sheets. We're going to move through this chapter pretty quickly, and I, I hope that you'll think with me and pray with me this week on the principles we're going to derive today from this passage. If you're not familiar with uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and its context, in this narrative, you're going to quickly see that it's the kind of story, one of those narratives in the Bible where God's people are faced with a situation that is utterly outside of their control, a situation that literally uh, threatens their, 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 their existence as a nation. And in their utter helplessness, they cry out to God and they find how God rescues him or rescues them amazingly. So much so that even though this text begins with them utterly trembling and fearful and uh, overwhelmed, ending up with joy and worship and rejoicing. I'll tell you why I enjoy teaching and studying these kinds of texts in our, in, in our uh, Bibles here. I, I think it's because um, I enjoy seeing God working in desperate times because more than any other time in my life when when I see how God works in those kind of situations, I'm reminded of life as it really is. I fear sometimes we think life is going to be easy and that we're not going to encounter any problems. And the moment that I start thinking that I'm the one who's in control of my, of my circumstances, that I'm sufficient to meet my circumstances, the moment I convince myself that uh, I'm a self-reliant winner of all my battles and, uh, and, and have control over my own fate, that's usually the time that I'm living in a fantasy world, and I think that's true of all of us. And here's the thing, it's such a prevalent attitude in our world today, it's so easy uh, to subtly slip into that way of thinking. And, uh, but, but when we're suddenly hit with a situation that is overwhelming and, we have, and it exceeds our ability to, uh, and our resources to meet that, and we cry out to God for his help, and then suddenly, suddenly, I don't know about you, but I'm forced back into reality of how much desperately I need the Lord to hold me up and guide me. So it's with that in mind, we're going to look here at Second Chronicles chapter 20. It contains a story where literally God is at work in a desperate time. It's a story of a godly king named King Jehoshaphat. He is one of the Old Testament kings of Judah. Uh, what particularly caught my attention about Jehoshaphat, here we are in this desperate need, entirely overwhelming circumstances. And, and what we're going to see is this, this invading army, overwhelming proportions, overwhelming numbers, and uh, the numbers of uh, weapons. And, and, and I want you to see, just as the introduction here, how Jehoshaphat responds immediately. Verse 12, look at with me there, how he cries out to God for his help. Oh God, our God, Will you not execute judgment on them? Listen to this. This is a king, okay? Kings don't normally talk this way, especially in front of everyone. We are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. 
we do not know what to do, but our eyes, our eyes are on you. That, that's a great prayer, guys. That is a prayer that expresses the attitude of a man who firmly has a strong sense of reality. Okay, and, and I don't know where any of us are here today. I'm gathering in my mind that there's probably some of us facing some pretty difficult circumstances in our life. Maybe you're even feeling overwhelmed. And I believe as we look here today at Jehoshaphat's uh, example here, it'll teach us some principles on how we can trust God to work through those circumstances. Let me begin as a foundation here to tell you a little bit more about this man, Jehoshaphat himself. A few generations before Jehoshaphat was born, all the tribes of Judah and, and, and Israel were uh, one great nation, okay? But King Solomon, as we know much about, failed to remain faithful to God. And as a result, his kingdom became divided under the reign of his son, Rehoboam, okay? And that meant that uh, the kingdoms passed from one king to another in the southern kingdom, Judah, as we call it, was passed down from Rehoboam's son to Abijah, from Abijah's son to Asa, and from Asa's son to Jehoshaphat. So you got like four generations here, okay? Over the course of that history, Judah had some kings that were good and they were godly, and others were very wicked and foolish. And as we know, as the king goes, so goes the nation. Now, Jehoshaphat was a good king, and so was his father Asa. And, uh, but I want to tell you, he wasn't a perfect man. If you go back and you read chapter 17 through chapter 19 and 20, you'll see that he wasn't a perfect man. He made mistakes. But nonetheless, one of the characteristics that I saw about Jehoshaphat was he did, in fact, appreciate God's faithfulness. He understood God's power. He seemed to trust in God. He had a passion to carry out reforms in, in the nation of Judah, just as his father did Asia. His reign, as a result, was somewhat prosperous and blessed as a result here. But then one day, this desperate situation struck. And we read all about that here in chapter 20, verses 1 through 4. Follow along, please, in your, in your Bibles as I read the opening verses here of Second Chronicles 20. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites, and with them some Munites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea, and behold, they are Hazazon, Tamar, that is, and Gedi. Then, look at verse 3, then Jehoshaphat was afraid, and he set his face to seek the Lord and proclaim a fast throughout all of Judah. And Judah assembled and to seek help from the Lord from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Uh, I, I don't know if you're, you're, you're collecting in your minds here how desperate this situation truly was. This was an invading, very powerful armies, multiple armies, nations here. They snuck around the southern side of the Dead Sea, and it was a massive group of soldiers, and they were now in Gedi. That is a mere march, one-day march, to the capital of Judah, Jerusalem. A pretty serious situation. The bottom line here is unless God intervenes or acts, they're all doomed. You got the situation? So how does Jehoshaphat react here in all this? More to point, what specific principles might you and I derive and learn from the experience about how he trusted God in such a desperate time? How can we flourish as Christ followers in hard times in life as well as good times in our lives by keeping our eyes fixed upon God. 
That's my goal here. If you're taking notes, the first principle I'd like to share with you today is we should, brothers and sisters in Christ, be cultivating a trust in God before those desperate times hit. We need to be cultivating in our hearts a trust in God before those desperate times hit. If you look here at verse 1, you'll see that it tells us that when this, desperation, this uh, desperate situation struck Jehoshaphat, it happened, notice, after this. Uh, what, what is this, this, that this all happened after? I believe that this here is a reference to the many spiritual reforms in Israel enacted during Jehoshaphat's reign. Look at 2 Chronicles chapter 17. I'll put it up, verses 3 through 6, to describe how he entered it into his role. The Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the earlier ways of his father David. He did not seek the Baals, obviously that is pagan worship, but sought the God of his father and walked in his commandments, and not according to the practices of Israel, speaking of the northern kingdoms, okay? Northern kingdom of, of, of uh, Israel. Therefore, the Lord established the kingdom in his hand, and all Judah brought tribute to Jehoshaphat, and he had great riches and honor. Love verse 6. Don't miss it. Verse 6. His heart was courageous in the way of the Lord, and furthermore, he took the high places in the Azarim out of Judah. And don't, don't think that uh, uh, Jehoshaphat's reforms were purely uh, religious. They also included sending out a number of the Levites and the priests, throughout the uh, kingdom to teach them the law of God. Militarily, Jehoshaphat uh, fortified the defenses primarily against the northern kingdom. He also appointed godly judges throughout the kingdom to handle disputes, warning them and charging them that their, righteous, their judgments be righteous and that they fear the Lord. So as a consistent pattern, I want you to see here that, uh, that he was cultivating a life that seems to be seeking out the Lord, walking in his commandments, and whose heart was lifted up in, in, in the ways of the Lord. And as a result, as I said earlier, for the most part, his reign was very prosperous. Consequently, by the time this particular desperate situation hit Jehoshaphat and the kingdom of Judah, it seems to me that he was well on his way of getting his spiritual house, getting his kingdom, and most importantly, his heart, his heart in order. And so feeling powerless here against this invading army, Jehoshaphat, we're told in scriptures, gathers the entire nation at the temple of Jerusalem. And I want you to look with me at verse 3. It says, he set his face to seek the Lord and proclaim a fast throughout all Judea. Not uncommon altogether here. On numerous occasions, you look in the Old Testament, you'll see that the, the people of, of, of Israel were often called to fast and to pray and to respond to, in, in response to some kind of a, a crisis as these folks are experiencing. They would also uh, abstain from food uh, at times uh, to express their grief or their repentance. They would abstain, abstain from food when they were humbly bowing before God and seeking guidance or help our intervention as we see happening here in chapter 20 of 2 Chronicles. The purpose, obviously, is to humbly lay their hearts out before God and inquire of him, uh, I, we need your help. We need your help. And I want you to know that Pastor Mike, and remember this is a two-part study, Pastor Mike next week will explain a lot more on the subject of fasting. For now, I want to ask you a question because it occurred to me when I got to this point, have you ever heard someone 
say during a time of crisis, especially when we're doing it collectively, well, I, I guess there's nothing left for us to do but pray, right? I believe the statement is usually uttered after an unimaginable amount of effort has been extended in a futile effort to rectify or resolve the crisis that we're going through. And when none of these efforts yield the needed results, we at last turn to prayer. Unfortunately, and, and I've got to say this is true in my life too, the, the prayer is not always my first course of action. Uh, I try to work things out on my own oftentimes, and it doesn't work out so well. And what I would suggest to you, prayer shouldn't be plan B, but should be plan A, just as Jehoshaphat shows us here. For this reason, I want to give you a second principle here. When we encounter those hard times, those overwhelming times, when desperate times hit, may I suggest that we adopt Jehoshaphat's strategy here by treating prayer as a rapid or a first response to a crisis instead of as a last resort. Okay? When desperate times hit, and they do, um, we must adopt Jehoshaphat's strategy by treating uh, tr uh, uh, by prayer, as uh, treating it as a rapid response rather than instead of a last resort. Listen, guys, um, we're, leaving, we're living in a dream world if we think life is going to be easy, and I think sometimes we get caught up in that. Desperate times can and do strike in our life, and believers are not immune for challenging and difficult circumstances. You know, it, it may not be an army approaching us, thank goodness, although that's not out of the question, right? It could be health issues, it can be re uh, relational issues, it can be money, it can be jobs, it could be any number of things. And when it does, when it does, not if, but when, as scripture talks, uh, it's not going to be the time to scramble around and try to get our spiritual house in order. What I see as I look at Jehoshaphat's life, the time to prepare for those type of disasters and challenges is right now. Right now. Now is the time, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, to ask God to break those sinful habits and those practices, especially worry is one of my favorites. Now is the time to, to build habits of daily getting into the word of God, reading, meditating on it, and getting it to move from the 18 inches of our brain to our heart. Now is the time to deepen our relationship with God and, and, and our brothers and sisters in Christ through regularly attending and serving together within the body, meeting one another's needs. Now is the time to develop that deep communion with our Heavenly Father through regular prayer, both private and fasting, corporate and individual. The bottom line is the time to cultivate a pattern as I look at the life of Jehoshaphat of faithfulness and trust to God is right now, is right now. I wonder, are we, you and I, truly, can it be said of us that we are cultivating a deeper trust and a relationship with God? Only then can we be ready, as Jehoshaphat did. Uh, he was a king, obviously, when you look at his life here, who had a deep relationship and trust with God. And uh, when the crisis struck, he knew what to do. The first thing he did was turn immediately to God, and, and, and not as a last resort, but as a first recourse. That leads us to the third principle that I'd like to share with you. When the desperate times hit, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, we should not only seek answers to our problems, but hear me, seek God himself. Not just seek the answers to our problems, but seek God himself. The Bible teaches us that this great man of God was afraid. 
And, and who wouldn't be under these circumstances, right? But notice that even in his fear, he reacts, you know? It's just like breathing here. It says in verse 3, Jehoshaphat set his face to seek the Lord. That phrase, seek his face, the face of the Lord, denotes a, a settled uh, resolute decision. It's talking about a seriousness. It's talking about an earnest pursuit of. The word face here is often translated in the Old Testament as presence. And practically speaking, to seek God's face seems to me to be desiring to know God, to know his character, to know his word. It's wanting to have him an active part of our life. It's acknowledging him in every way. His presence is more important than anything this world has to offer, okay? That's the idea I get when we are truly seeking God's face and implies a deep intimacy. God, you see, as we've been singing all morning, I was realizing that all the songs had a common theme. Um, our sufficiency, our very life is found in him. If we have God and we cling to him, as the Bible commands, and even, even if we aren't delivered from the crisis the way we hope that we should be, we can go through it in peace. I wonder what cares, what hardships are you carrying right now? Where's your refuge? I love the words of the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 26, verse 3. And here's what he writes about God. You, God, keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon you. Why? Because he trusts in you. But perhaps my most frequent go-to verse in the Bible, and anybody who's been here any time knows that when I'm walking through something overwhelming, my go-to verse is Isaiah 41.10. I pray it every time I'm walking up to preach. Isaiah 41, written in the context of exile, hopelessness for the nation of Israel, this verse offers genuine consolation, encouragement, and strength to God, to his faithful. Listen to what it says. In fact, let's read it together. Can we read it out loud? Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you. Yeah. Awesome verse, isn't it? Awesome verse. Unlike the gods of the pagans, which need to be strengthened and secured by man, our mighty God, the mighty God of Israel, secures his people. And King Jehoshaphat knew he had experienced that no human hostility can stand against him, can stand our defeat against him. And so verse 6, starting in verse 6, picture this, the entire country of Judah is united. They're prayerfully gathered at the temple of Jerusalem, and they're seeking God's help together, humbly. And it says here that King Jehoshaphat proclaimed a national feast and then Jehoshaphat led the nation in a prayer. Wouldn't it be refreshing to find our leaders leading our nation in prayer again? As we review the context of this prayer, I want you to notice something with me, that there's a very specific order on how they sought God's help in this time. First, notice that Jehoshaphat began by remembering who God is. By remembering who God is, verse 6 Oh, Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand, he says, are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. In desperation, 
strikes in our life. You know, how few of us, I wonder, are, are truly stopping. I mean stopping and pausing and remembering who God is and what he is like. I love him here, the transcendence of, 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 over things in this earth. His absolute sovereignty over all the nations. His limitless, limitless uh, power. Uh, but this, as I look at Jehoshaphat's example here, his first priority when it comes to seeking God in our difficulties is remembering who God is. The second thing I see as I look at this text is Jehoshaphat recalls the promises that God made to his nation. We kind of just did that with Isaiah 41.10. The nation that he's talking about is Israel. It was raised up and placed in the land that they now dwell by God, and it's now being threatened. And so he prayed to this great God whose mighty attributes he, we, he's reflecting on. It says in verses 7 and 8, Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? What's more is he remembered a promise that was made to his own great-grandfather Solomon when the temple was built and dedicated. I'll give you the reference, 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 22 through 53. 1 Kings 8, 22 through 53. But at this dedication of the temple, Solomon prayed and asked uh, that in times of trouble like they're facing right now, that God would hear his people if they cried out with their voice in the, at, at the temple. And by the way, God granted that he promised that he would honor that promise. And so look at verses 8 and 9. I think he has this thought in mind. When he cries out to God, and your people have lived in it and have built up, uh, built up for you a sanctuary for your home or your name. If, if disaster comes upon us, with, and he gives some examples, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction. Don't miss the last phrase. And you will hear and save this is a promise, a direct promise that Solomon had been given by God. And so in desperate uh, moment here, in this desperate moment, Jehoshaphat seeks God by recalling and reciting the promises of God that God himself had made to his own people, okay? Again, I would stop and pause. What's causing you fear today? Have you taken any time to truly recall, recite God's awesomeness and how wonderful he is? And that leads us to the fourth example that King Jehoshaphat gives us. When desperate times hit, we must seek God as revealed, hear me, in his word. We must seek God as revealed in his word. I hope you heard it. Jehoshaphat's prayer is steeped with scripture. Now, why is God, why is he telling God all this? Certainly not because God needed this information, Certainly not because God needed to, to know all this stuff. Clearly, he was rehearsing all this in his own mind, in his own heart, and in the minds and the hearts of the people of Judah so that they would recognize that, you know, if you have a big God, no problem is too big for God to handle. We can trust him. Personally, I found it true that when it comes to dealing with, uh, with keeping my eyes on the Lord in, in, in disparate times, if I fill my prayers with the greatness of my problems, my faith gets overwhelmed and stretched uh, beyond, I get fearful, I get worried. 
But if I fill my mind with God's greatness and the promises of God that he has walked down and provided all these years through history, it not only stimulates peace, but strengthens my faith and trust in him. I wonder, you know, what are you struggling with? Again, you know, how big is your God? Big God, small problems. Small God, big problems, right? With that thought in mind, I want you to notice, please, that even declaring his problem to God, that God is the prominent focus in his prayer. But again, verse 12, look at it with me. O our God, he says here, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against the great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. This, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, I think is a wonderful example of how when we're facing difficulties, when it strikes in our life, we can look upon the Lord and trust that he will provide for us. Our eyes need to be up on him, upon him. Well, continuing in our narrative here, uh, all the families, infants, women, children, they're all assembled there. And God answers Jehoshaphat's plea, look here, in verses 15 through 17 through a prophet or a seer named Jehoshaphat. Standing before the assembly, here's what he said. Listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde. For, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go up against them. Behold, they will come by the ascent of Sis. You will find them at the end of the valley east of the wilderness of Joel. You will not need to fight in this battle. You will not need to fight in this battle. Let that sink in. Stand firm. Hold your position and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. That's the very thing that he addressed God with. I'm afraid. I'm seeking you, right? Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against him and the Lord will be with you. Some of you may recall that those almost exact words that uh, David said when he stood before Goliath. I'm, I'm not fighting in my own strength, but my Lord, right? Moses, too, as he spoke to the people when their backs were against the incoming army of the Egyptian army barreling down on them to put them out of existence in the Red Sea, he said almost identical words as he rehearsed God's faithfulness. And I want you to see how the people responded when they heard this assurance of deliverance. Look at verse 18, starting with King Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground and all Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping, worshiping the Lord. What, a, what an example of godly leadership there where the king is bowing down before recognizing that, that it's God who's gonna have to deliver them. Now some, very practical people, even then, might have been uh, thinking about this now. Hmm, isn't this a little premature, guys? Uh, the enemy is still kind of knocking at our gate here. But I want you to see something. That for the king and all of, Judea, uh, all of Judah and, and, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem here, who were laying their face on the ground and bowing before God and worshiping him, God's word was sufficient. God's promise was enough. And remarkably, even though God had done nothing yet, because he gave his word, the people here worship him in humbleness as if the battle is already won. 
Do you and I have that kind of confidence in our God when he makes a promise to us? That, my friends, leads to a fifth and perhaps a surprising principle that we learn from Jehoshaphat's example. Verses 14 through 25, we learn that when desperate times hit, we should seek to rejoice in God through worship. We should seek to rejoice in God through worship. Well, reading on again in our text, as I give an overview of this, uh, of this account, we find that based on the promise from God that, that he would fight for them, the people rose up the next morning as commanded, and they marched out into the battlefield. And I love verse 20. As they're marching out, apparently Jehoshaphat stood there before the nation. He said, listen, hear, O Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem, believe in God, your, the Lord your God, and you will, listen, you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you will succeed. And that leads to a sixth and final principle that I want to share with you today about Jehoshaphat's example. That is, when desperate times hit, our reliance on God means obedience to his word. Our reliance on God means being obedient to God's word. With that thought in mind, following his own admonishment here to the people, Jehoshaphat goes to a step beyond anything any one of us could imagine. Look at verse 21. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise in, in, in holy entire as they went before the armies to say, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. <laughs> I wonder how many of us would have responded with a threat of impending invasions from a foreign army to develop a worship team, you know? But that's exactly what Jehoshaphat does here. Um, and, and I'll remind you, anybody want to join the choir or the praise team here? Um, the promises given by the prophet, they are amazing. That's one thing. But believing and acting on those promises was another thing. You have to understand these singers were being put in front of the army here, and, and they were staking their very lives on the truthfulness of what the word of God said. They were marching unarmed in front of an army, singing praises to God against a powerful, overwhelming adversary bent on killing them, armed to the teeth. But as outrageous as this song, service, battle plan, strategy was, the people of God showed, I believe, by doing this, their complete confidence in God's word. Complete confidence. They obeyed. They trusted God's word by obedience. And look at what happened as a result, verses 22 through 25. The Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them, or devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. When Judah came to the watchtower of the wilderness, they looked toward the horde, and behold, there were dead bodies laying on the ground. None of them had escaped. When Jehoshaphat and the people... His people came to take their spoil. They found among them great numbers of goods and clothing and precious things which they took for themselves until they could carry no more. They were three days in taking spoil. It was so much. The Lord caused confusion among the enemy troops and they turned against each other. 
And the victory was so great that the men of Judah could not carry all the spoil in one day. It took three days. And so what did the people do? Well, if you read on, you'll see that the people stopped what they were doing right then and there, and they blessed God, changing the name of that field to the Valley of Blessing, which is still called, as I understood it that day. They had this victory parade in praise, and Jehosh Jehoshaphat apparently led this parade all the way back home, strings, horns, and instruments. But I love the, the final part of this text where it says, and the fear of God was on all the kingdoms of the land so that they, when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel, they, they were fearful, you know? They saw the power and awesomeness of God, and they saw the way the people trusted them, trusted in those promises. And so the kingdom of Jehoshaphat, we read in Scripture, was at peace for the rest of all the times that he served on all sides. You know, one of the things that I, as I walk through this uh, narrative, was it praises all over this story. Before, during, and after the battle, the story is not about Judah, it's not about Jehoshaphat, it's not about their vast armies, it's about our great God. He is the one who fights for them and for us. And here's the thing, this deliverance is, a, I believe, a beautiful picture of the salvation we have through Jesus Christ. In fact, it's what the gospel is all about. We stand firm today in Christ's work, his finished work, not our own. Our warrior God squarely conquered sin and death and our ancient foe. He did that by dying and rising again. And that's the reality that you and I stand on today. And that big battle, that big battle, reality has everything to do and say about the way that we handle the everyday multiple battles that we face living and serving in a fallen world. No, I can't promise you, based on this story, that in every one of those desperate situations, it'll end with a sweet ending like Jehoshaphat, enemies destroyed, and three days of plunder to boot. But that's not really the point, I don't think. The point is that God is always, always fighting for his people. He is our firm foundation that will never let us down, as we're about to see. And if Christ, if we are in Christ, if we are in, in experiencing the victory that he has brought to us, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how many things get shaken in our lives. Our, our, our poise, our peace, our security, brothers and sisters in Christ, isn't based on our circumstances. It's based on the, uh, and forever impacted by in whom we stand today. Our peace is not the absence of problems. It's the presence of our great Savior. Amen? A quick reminder, just some logistics here as we wrap up, and we're going to have a baptism today. Uh, we had one this morning too, praise God. Um, next week, Pastor Mike is going to take this and go a, 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 and present another sermon. My emphasis was primarily on the corporate, or, or was on the individual uh, response to uh, the challenges or those desperate and challenging. So next week, it'll be more on, well, how does a congregation, how, how do we as a, a church address those difficulties together, okay? Let me encourage everyone, please, to mark your calendars for May 5th. And I know I'm, I'm stretching you out a little bit here. Uh, next week after Mike preaches, we're going to be challenging our church to step out and, and really make it a full week of praying corporately together for our church. We see God doing some amazing things here within our body, and if there's ever a time to pray, it's when God's blessing 
I believe that with all my heart. And I, wanna, I want to encourage the whole church for a whole week to be praying and perhaps even fasting. And that Friday evening, we'll gather together uh, the May 5th, May 5th, mark your calendars, we'll gather together and celebrate what God has taught us and what he's doing within our, within our body, May 5th, okay? Uh, let me encourage you also, because we are going to be studying in this text next week, to spend some time truly reading and meditating on the narrative here in Second Chronicles 20. I believe as you study that, if, if you look for it, ask God to just build into your heart a confidence, you know, we can indeed be confident in, in times of crisis if we will let our, our great needs drive us to prayer and our needs and, 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 and to a greater trust in God. Nothing can stand against our powerful God. I'm going to invite the person who's being baptized, Lee, to go ahead and get, I, I've got to run and change real quick. I'm going to close in prayer and the praise team is going to come up. Let me close in prayer here. Father, thank you so very much for this very powerful reminder that no matter what our needs are, you're bigger. No matter what challenges we face, you're more awesome. I pray that, Lord, you'll teach us to have that perfect peace as we learn to daily uh, keep our minds and our hearts stayed upon you. Lord, I thank you for this church family, and I'm looking forward to seeing how you're going to use this study of keeping our eyes upon you to impact all of us individually and corporately as we seek to serve you here. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.